Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, we are told with uh, great frequency these days. Thank you very much. I think we're very proud of 89.9. No, great frequency that words matter. It's said an awful lot on the air and in print with particular reference to a certain president of the United States. Uh, But with, with a stern, almost teacherly kind of air to it. Words matter. Don't you understand? So um, we now are in the uh, entering the third week of a drama in the United States triggered by <laughs> the president's use of Twitter to accuse his predecessor of, uh, quote, wiretapping, unquote, him, a quote, unquote, uh, before the election. And members of Congress and one intelligence official, I think, I don't know, members of Congress for sure, have said there's no evidence. We've seen no evidence that this happened. I think one, I think, uh, one intelligence official has said we have, we have seen no evidence. That is, those are their words. They have been translated by the media into false, that it is a false assertion, or that there is no evidence, there is no evidence for it. Uh, It's a a plausible interpretation. And again, I I shouldn't say again because I haven't said this yet. I'm going to say it now, and then I'll say it again. None of of what I'm going to say is in any way an endorsement or an interpretation of those tweets that says, take that to the bank. Just talking about words mattering. That's all. That's all we're doing here. So um, now we have this week triggered by Press Secretary Sean Spicer's decision to, at his Thursday briefing, quote Fox News Channel's chief judicial analyst. I didn't know they had more than one. Uh, Andrew Napolitano, who said three t- in three different Fox News Channel programs that he had three sources tell him that what the Obama administration did to surveil Trump Tower before the election was to ask Britain's super-secret intelligence agency, the GCHQ, to do it so that it would leave no f- American fingerprints. He says that from the White House podium. Within hours... There was a response, very unusual public response, from aforementioned GCHQ. Now, just backing up for a moment. Intelligence agencies, ladies and gentlemen, um, have earned a certain reputation in this country for, shall we say, um, artfulness with the truth. One uh, need only think back to the phrase, uh, smoking gun is a mushroom cloud, uh, uttered by Condoleezza Rice based on what she claimed was intelligence uh, or the use of the single source curveball to allege that Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction program had continued, a source that was red flagged by the CIA, but still other intelligence sources used him. So intelligence is 
an art, shall we say, not a science. And part of the art is word choice. And so GCHQ, when they responded to Sean Spicer's statement on Thursday, said three things. Read their statement, if you'd like. Check me on this. Check me on this. Uh, they said that tr- the allegation that GCHQ was involved with the surveillance of Trump Tower was, quote, ridiculous, unquote, quote, nonsense, unquote, and, quote, should not be repeated, unquote. Now, the NSA then chimed in. They had an opportunity to correct the record and say, well, it's blatantly untrue. It's patently false. The NSA responded with, quote, nonsense, unquote. These are being characterized by the media as denials. But words matter. They're dismissals. To say it's patently untrue, it's blatant falsehood, would be a denial. Nonsense or ridiculous fall into the category of plausible deniability. Look that up if you want. And uh, should not be repeated. I was open to at least two interpretations. Uh, as I say, it doesn't prove anything about the underlying accusation, but it might prove that intelligence agencies are cleverer than journalists. Hello, welcome to the show. for telling me a tale ah, too much monkey business too much monkey business too much monkey business for me to be involved in been to Yokohama been fighting in the war army bunk army child army crows army car ah, too much monkey business too much monkey business too much monkey business for me to be involved in 
Working in the filling stations. Too many tasks. Wipe the windows. Check the tires. Check the oil. A dollar gas. Ha! Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. I don't want your botheration. Get away. Leave me. It's a filling station and a payphone. And botheration, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, from New Orleans, Louisiana, where it's happy St. Joseph's Day, everybody. <laughs> you might not have known it, but we do know it here. Uh, welcome to this edition of the show. I'm Harry Shearer, and this is News of the Warm. Won't you? If you uh, if you fly at all, and I by the way I I, I mean with the aid of uh, aircraft, you may have wondered the same thing I do, which is uh, we've now been in the uh, the jet age for what sixty years, and there's been absolutely no change in the fuel source for jet jet engines. It's like that that. Progress train has, uh, to mix a metaphor, has been derailed somehow. It's just gone off the tracks. Um, we get new phones every two years, but there's no new jet fuel, except now. This week, the U.S. Space Agency, or scientists led by the U.S. Space Agency, have flown small, instrumented chase planes directly in the exhaust plume of a big jet to measure the sorts of gases and particles being emitted the data that they've gotten suggests that aircraft burning a mix of aviation kerosene and biofuel could reduce the climate impact of jet aircraft. This would come from a substantial reduction in the production of the sooty particles that make contrails that people have been botherated about. Those soot particles serve as nuclei for water vapor in the very cold atmosphere to condense on and for artificial-looking linear contrails that we see when we look out the window, explained a NASA scientist. You'll see those lines spread and form cirrus clouds that weren't there before the plane flew through the airspace. We know these contrails and cirrus clouds have a warming effect on Earth's climate, and it's currently thought the warming effect associated with those clouds is more significant than all of the carbon, carbon dioxide emitted by aviation since the first powered flights began. That's... Uh, from the, the same scientist, Dr. Richard Moore from NASA. His team says in this week's Nature, flew a, a DC-8 at cruising speed and altitude to try to simulate real-world real conditions. But the data obtained in similar studies before was obtained from uh, ground sensors, where a jet has been locked down and its engines throttled up. But these... This uh, data came from a jet that was flying at uh, cruising altitude, where air temperatures and pressures are much lower. So more real-world kind of thing. The uh, engines of the DC-8 were either fed regular jet fuel or a 50-50 blend of that and a fuel derived from the 
from an oilseed plant. Mmm, oilseed. So the, the chase planes had to fly very close to the test jet, or else they would be picking up other stuff besides the exhaust from the plane. That called for military levels of skill and very good communication between the pilots. You're where? Oh. It's very exciting, said one of the uh, pilots. What the team found, aside from the excitement, was that the blended fuel was producing 50% less black carbon by number of particles and up to 70% less by mass. If you reduce the number of concentration of black carbon, then you will reduce the number of concentration of ice crystals. So this would be a, mi- a way to mitigate the climate impacts of aviation, said another scientist. The logical expectation might be that by increasing the proportion of biofuel beyond 50-50, even more gains could be made. But Dr. Moore cautioned there were infrastructures and engineering reasons why that couldn't work. Because they're derived from a different feedstock, biofuels have very low concentrations of the chemical compounds common in petroleum-based fuels. One of these is aromatic species. I roomed with some of those once, which are ring-like carbon compounds. These have important impacts for compatibility with current fuel systems. Some older planes rely on the properties of jet fuels to swell the seals in their fuel systems. Have you, have you, what do you use to swell your seals, ladies and gentlemen? Come on, conversation. Call in. Let's share. You can imagine if you change the composition of the fuel drastically, some of these older fuel systems are not going to behave as they were originally designed, said Dr. Brooks. Brooks? Moore. I knew there were two O's in it. (laughs) NASA is currently developing an experimental plane in which it hopes to demonstrate low-noise supersonic flight powered by biofuel. So, yes, it is possible, ladies and gentlemen. We could change the fuels in jet engines for the first time in, oh, six decades or so, and thereby have less carbon emitted. Kind of good news of the warm. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... Guys had to make sure their embouchures were right. News of the Olympic movement! Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, you'll never guess what's going to happen in Fukushima, site of the big nuclear meltdown, come 2020. Baseball! Olympic baseball and softball. The decision to hold baseball and softball matches in Fuk as part of the 2020 Tokyo Games has been criticized as a cynical maneuver on the part of the Japanese government to convince the world that the nuclear crisis is OVAH. The Tokyo Organizing Committee announced this week that the Fuk Azuma Baseball Stadium will host softball and baseball matches during the games. And the good news is, night games, the plant will glow in the the uh, stadium will glow in the dark. Thank you to San Diego Desk for that. Venues in Tokyo will host the majority of the sporting events, which will take nine years after the thing in Fukushima. In a statement, the Olympic Committee said it believes that the hosting of events in Fuku will support necessary will support recovery efforts in the overall region. 
Matches played in the region will be further evidence of Tokyo 2020's commitment to bring sporting events to the recovering areas and will demonstrate the power of sport. Can sport decontaminate those million gallons of hot water? The statement makes no mention of ongoing efforts of the Fook plant to bring the reactors under control and recover the nuclear fuel that has escaped from containment vessels, which apparently didn't live up to their name. Authorities estimate it will take 40 years for the site to be rendered safe. About 120,000 people are still not able to return to their homes because of the disaster. More about that in a moment. But Barcelona City Hall government has taken itself out of the running to host the 2026 Winter Olympic Games. According to Barcelona's deputy mayor, the decision responded to the current social and economic circumstances, not only in Barcelona, but in the whole country. Unquote. By which he means Spain, I think, not Catalonia. He pointed out that not winning the Olympic contest, if they continue the bid, could damage Barcelona's reputation as an Olympic city. Well, yes, after the success of the 1992 Games. If we submit an application, we want it to be the winning option, he said. That's a bad attitude, isn't it? And for in order that to be so, the candidacy must have full political and social support. Rescinding the candidacy for the Winter Olympics was one of the main priorities of the governing alternative left and green alliance when they took office two years ago. The conclusion left the door open for Barcelona to host future Winter Olympic Games, if there are some. Barcelona's deputy mayor admitted this was not good news for the Pyrenees, since the area could have benefited from an important economic boost, like so many areas have if they host the Olympics, you've noticed. He also pointed out the, uh, the new criteria for the uh, Olympics, which established in upcoming years the Olympics would have to adapt to the cities and not the other way around. Bit, uh, bit harsh. Come on, it's, it's the Olympics. It's a movement. We all need one. Every day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this week began with um, a controversy ignited by um, a tweet, and not by the uh, president, <laughs> president of the United States, um, but by a congressman from uh, I- uh, Iowa, uh, Representative Steve King. Um, got it right here. He... Um, said in his tweet that uh, countries like Germany, which do not ha- which have a uh, declining birth rate, need to know that they cannot maintain their, civ- their civilization or their culture with, quote, somebody else's babies. Uh, then he went on CNN to uh, try to defend it. And um, here's part of what he said in answer to a probing question by Chris Cuomo of CNN. What did you mean? Well, of course, I meant exactly what I said, as it always is the case, Chris. And to expand on that a little further, um, I've been to Europe and I've spoken on this issue. 
And I've said the same thing as far as 10 years ago uh, to the German people and to any population of people that is a declining population that doesn't, isn't willing to have enough babies to reproduce themselves. And I've said to them, you cannot rebuild your civilization with somebody else's babies. You've got to keep your birth rate up and that you need to teach your children your values. And in doing so, then you can grow your population and you can strengthen your culture. You can strengthen your way of life. This is an effort on the left, I think, to break down the American civilization and the American culture and turn it into something entirely different. I'm a champion for Western civilization. And yes, our English language is a big part of it. It's a carrier of freedom. Right. Wherever the English language has gone globally, freedom went with it. But we've also aborted nearly 60 million babies in this country since 1973. And there's been this effort that we're going to have to replace that void with somebody else's babies. Yes, the English language was accompanied by freedom uh, rather earlier by slavery. I forgot to mention that, but I'm, I'm delighted to see that he's uh, concerned with the continuing health of the population and the danger of somebody else's babies. Somebody else said 
my baby beside me at the wheel. I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile. My curiosity running wild. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Riding along in my automobile. I was anxious to tell her the way I feel. So I told her softly and sincere And she leaned and whispered in my ear Cuddling more and driving slow With no particular place to go From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Out of the Adam, not with us uh, again this week. He's in rehab. No, he's, he's in, according to the note here, he's in dehab. Um, so we'll uh, proceed with the news. A district court this week found negligence by the Japanese government and TEPCO, and that negligence contributed to the disaster at the Fuke plant six years ago this month. Hey, I didn't even send a card. They wouldn't have gotten it. It would have melted. The ruling, which awarded a total of $340,000 in damages to people who have fled from the prefecture of Fukushima, Ruled that the government and plant operator were negligent in preparing anti-tsunami measures. Like a great big wall? Beautiful wall? No door? Lawyers for the plaintiffs said it was the first time a Japanese court had recognized such negligence played a part in the worst nuclear catastrophe since Chernobyl. The ruling would... Hey, 
Th- that was the mistake the Russians made. They didn't hold the uh, Winter Olympics in Chernobyl. Could have saved 50 however much he spent. The ruling was the first among a series of lawsuits filed by people who were forced to leave the Fouke prefecture after the three reactors. Three reactors melted down. Come on. It's, it's funny. It's the rule of threes. The court said the nuclear disaster was preventable, saying the state should have used its regulatory powers to, to force TEPCO to take preventive steps. The 137 plaintiffs now relocated to other provinces have sought a combined 1.5 million dollar a million yen no i don't know for emotional distress saying they have lost their livelihoods and faced inconvenience for an extensive period much like drivers on the 405 and that's an la joke everybody um i'm not sure i didn't see in the article what the what anti-tsunami measures the court envisioned maybe they should call call in Let's keep the conversation going. And speaking of Fook and things that are Fooked up, an emergency cooling system for the number one reactor at that plant was set in a mode that was difficult to start for nearly 30 years preceding the... This is an emergency cooling system is all. The number one reactor is the one that was uh, involved. That was the first of the three to melt down. I guess they melted down in numerical order? How cool is that? The isolation condenser system was automatically activated after the massive earthquake six years ago. Operators did use it to cool down the reactor. However, they failed to make full use of it and misjudged its operating status after power was lost thanks to the tsunami. Who would have thought power would be lost in an emergency? Whoever could have predicted that? The subsequent meltdown of the number one reactor caused a hydrogen explosion. You don't see those every day. Tourist attraction. The NHK network in Japan interviewed officials from TEPCO and requested the disclosure of the information. NHK found that the setting of the emergency cooling system was changed in 1981 to make it difficult to start. That would be the emergency cooling system, ladies and gentlemen, make it difficult to start, you see. You see the value of that, don't you? You see the the uh, thoughtful management that would be uh, embodied in that decision. The isolation condenser is supposed to switch on automatically when the pressure inside the reactor rises for some reason. Never a good reason, really, usually. But its settings were altered so that another device for reducing pressure inside the uh, the reactor would start first. No, you first. No, you first. There was no record of the isolation condenser being used for nearly 30 years, even when problems occurred. Safety measures were reviewed the year before the accident. The cooling system was reset to make it easy to start. However, it was never actually tested before the... The utility says it cannot confirm why the setting was changed in 1981, as there are no records, you see. Because why would you want to keep records in a nuclear power plant? And it was not tested because there was a risk of a radioactive leak if the system became damaged. You can't test it because it might... You see... There, the logic of that. The company says employees were told about the isolation condenser in their training courses. Hosai University professor Hiroshi Miyano says people cannot use such a device without experience. You can't use a toaster without experience, sir. I think, my experience tells me, this may have been a factor behind the scale of the accident. He says safety equipment testing and training should be reviewed 
at other nuclear plants. And if they were keeping records, they'd remember he said that. But clean, cheap, too safe to meter. It is our friend, the Adam. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been, uh, as the Brits like to say, banging on about the subject of smart houses for a while on this program because it is a thing. It is a thing that is, as a technological development, moving towards us at warp speed. And um, as consumers, I think that um, now I'm, I'm a, you know me, I'm a, I'm a skeptical cuss. I'm a skeptical kind of cuss. So I'm not the kind of person that says, hey, if they're selling it, I'm going to buy it. But other people are. And so uh, this particular corner of the program is by way of warning you people, be more like me. A company that smells, <laughs> sells, if they smelled them, they wouldn't sell them. A company that sells smart teddy bears leaked 800,000 user account credentials then hackers locked it and held it for ransom. A teddy bear, you see. Not a computer, not a smartphone, not a tablet. A teddy bear. This is from Motherboard, a um, tech journal. After the story was originally published, a security researcher revealed that the stuffed animals themselves could be easily hacked and turned into spy devices. So everybody laughing at Kellyanne Conway about microwave ovens uh, the world has moved ahead of, of y'all. It, it's now teddy bears, you see. A company that sells Internet-connected teddy bears to allow kids and their faraway parents to exchange heartfelt messages left more than well, 800,000 customer credentials as well as 2 million message recordings totally exposed online for anyone to see and listen. Since Christmas Day of last year, and at least until the first week of January, Spiral Toys left, cust- left customer data of its Cloud Pets brand on a database that wasn't behind a firewall or password protected. Aside from that, the database was easy to find using a search engine that makes it easy to find unprotected websites and servers, according to several security researchers who found and inspected the data. Emails and passwords, supposedly harder to crack uh, because they were secured with a, uh, a strong protection function. Unfortunately, a large number of these passwords were so weak it was possible to crack them, according to a security researcher. During the time the data was exposed, at least two security researchers and and likely malicious hackers got their hands on it. In fact, at the beginning of January, during the time several cyber criminals were actively scanning the internet for exposed databases to delete their data and hold it for ransom, Cloud Pets data was overwritten twice, according to researchers. Warned motherboard of the security breach independently in the last few weeks. Motherboard has been able to verify the breach was legitimate. So-called smart devices connected to the Internet, which is popularly known as the Internet of Things or smart houses, are often left insecure or are easily hackable and often leak sensitive data. There will be a time, says Motherboard, when IoT developers and manufacturers learn the lesson and make secure devices by default. That time hasn't come yet. It only takes one little mistake on behalf of the data custodian, and every single piece of data they hold on you and your family can be in the public domain in mere minutes, said a security researcher. If you're fine with your kids' recordings ending up in unexpected places, then so be it, but that's the assumption you'll have to work on because there's a very real chance it'll happen, unquote the researcher. This news comes just a few days after Germany warned parents that an Internet-connected doll, 
Because why wouldn't you? Would spy on their children and forced it out of the stores. This is the latest in a growing string of embarrassing security incidents for toy makers. The worst one being that of Hong Kong-based VTech, which lost the personal data of 6.3 million children and 4.8 million parents, including selfies they took and private chats they had. Spiral Toys, which appears to be based in California, according to Motherboard, could not be reached for comment. Hey, surf was up. And on a related subject, Google Home, the um, web giant's internet-connected talking personal assistant, has started spamming audio commercials to uh, unexpected customers of Google Home. Um, this is from the British Technical Tech Journal, The Register. One of their people was uh, talking to Google Home, the Google Home personal assistant connected to the Internet. And uh, here's what happened. Okay, Google, what's my day like? Hello, Bryson. The time is 7.44 a.m. The weather in Park Ridge currently is 21 degrees and sunny with a high of 37 degrees. Your commute to work is currently 39 minutes by public transit. By the way, Disney's live-action Beauty and the Beast opens today. Yay! Which version of the story fell as the inventor instead of Maurice? That rings truer if you ask me. For some more movie fun, ask me to tell you something about Belle. Have a good one. Here's the latest news from NPR News Summary at 7 a.m. today. Nice for NPR to be associated with that. Um, Google Home is one of the few virtual assistants available. Most major tech companies are locked in a race to build the best chatbot. Chatbots could totally be a trillion-dollar industry, said uh, a startup that's developing ways to add advertisements into chatbots. Google says, this isn't an ad. The beauty in the assistant is that it invites our partners to be our guests and share their tales. Or eat them. Their later statement amended that a little bit in a Trumpian way. This wasn't intended to be an ad. What's circulating online was part of our My Day feature, where after providing helpful information about your day, we sometimes call out timely content. We're continuing to experiment with new ways to surface unique content for users, and we could have done better in this case. Yes, you could have deep-sixed it instead of surfaced it. It's so smart to have a smartphone, uh, smart home, isn't it? Don't you think? All right, now, um, we haven't gotten to the apologies of the week yet, but the Trump administration was reported to have apologized uh, to the, Britain after the statement mentioned earlier about GCHQ, although the administration does deny that what they said to the Brits constituted an apology. But um, nonetheless, that was a uh, a major story in the president's week, such as it was. The, um, the other news that didn't get nearly as much attention this week, and um, it's been surfacing uh, in various in dribs and drabs for a while now, but uh, again, as I say, this week it came uh, more to the fore, is the connection between Rupert Murdoch and Donald Trump. Um, way back in February, the Financial Times reported that there was a an interview Trump did with the British newspaper, The Times, 
And it what was not revealed by the Times was that its proprietor, Rupert Murdoch, was sitting in on the conversation. The Financial Times revealed this week that the president's eldest daughter, Ivanka, was until recently a trustee for shares belonging to Murdoch's two young daughters by Wendy Deng, Grace and Chloe. Chloe! Ms. Trump represented the girl's interests in 20th century, 21st Century Fox and News Corp. She stepped down from the trustee board on December 28th of last year, according to the Financial Times. And other reports indicate that, uh, I think a report on NPR, which was not heard in connection with the Beauty and the Beast commercial, indicated that there is now serious reporting that President Trump and Rupert Murdoch talk by telephone several times a week. Um, Murdoch apparently says Trump calls him. In other words, this week, for the first time, a special relationship gets much more special. And the businessman turned president has to make a crucial decision about who is and who isn't on his team. Rupert, hello, Mr. President. The people at uh, your channel aren't always reading my tweets. <laughs> Everybody in my building reads your tweets. I mean, read them on the air. You know, my tweets are not just for bathroom reading. That may be where I write them, but... Mr. President, I did some research since our last phone conversation about that uh, question. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I uh, see Melania all that often these days. As I suspected uh, from my own experience, grinding up that... Cialis doesn't lengthen its duration. You tried it? Jerry insisted. Said she always hated going to the theater and just seeing a one-act play. Okay. Good work. Well, I am an ink-stained wretch at heart. From the Cialis? It's uh, not on the label. But listen, I do have a task for you. If you're up for it, Anything you need, Mr. President. Wow. As I remember, you were uh, never that uh, eager to please me when I was uh, just an incredibly successful business. Well, of course, now you have what really turns women on. Power. Mm. I can't grind that up, are you? As for things past, I uh, guess I'm a lot like you, sir. Well, I know we both have a taste for tens. And... We both reserve a certain contempt for people who aren't as rich as we are. Okay, anyway, uh, my people need Judge Napolitano to come up with the names of his sources. You know, for the thing. Of course, he hasn't confided in me. I only see him at the New York Post Christmas parties. But I do hear that his sources are your people. Don't you think your guys can come up with something? Uh, by my guys, I assume you mean the uh, news channel with the crew at the Simpsons. You know your guys better than I do. Can you do it? Yeah, what? Mm. I didn't get where I am by not giving things a shot. Seems a lot safer bet than my space. <laughs> Sean? Yes, sir? Rough week. <laughs> I've had worse. Week before this, for one. You're taking the heat. You 
taking it a lot better than Kellyanne. Well, in, in fairness, I, I don't have four kids I have to take every day to a school where the, the parents hiss her. Ah, oh, it's a bad school. It's a disaster. I don't know why she takes them there. No, it's the only one that would let her kids in. They must be bad kids. I Thank goodness they're not immigrants. Yeah. Look, Sean, you've done great. I watch you every day. <laughs> you must have more important things to do with your time, sir. You know what? I don't think so. You're the face of the administration. Mm -hmm. That's why I think you're up to this task. Well, I'll try. try today's briefing? Yes, sir. Give a great big plug to Judge Napolitano. Tell the reporters to watch him if they want to learn about the, uh, you know, the whole wiretapping. You mean the quote wiretapping? Quotes, apostrophes, whatever. Just what Kellyanne did for Ivanka. You saw the numbers? Mm. Through the roof. <laughs> I want you to do that for the judge. He's helped us? Rupert has. I stick by my people. Well, some of the Fox people are walking back the, quote, wiretap story. We're not plugging them. You good with this? I'm here for the duration. That's what you think. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make this wiretapping theory great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week. Just try to sleep through it. Havana Moon 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Two apologies from McDonald's. They quickly deleted a tweet sent from the company's Twitter feed slamming President, <laughs> President Trump and said its official Twitter account had been compromised. We've determined our account was hacked by an external source. We apologize this tweet was sent through our corporate account. And McDonald's have canceled and apologized for an ad released for St. Patrick's Day that used British themes. The 10-second clip was meant to promote the company's Shamrock Shake. The uh, showed a ginger man dressed in Scottish tartan with Stonehenge as the background. The advertisement was pilloried on Twitter and angrily denounced, angrily denounced by Irish Americans as insensitive. company apologized, and Robert Gibbs, executive vice president for corporate relations, former flack for President Obama, said that piece of content was not representative of McDonald's or its values, and we apologize for it. We issued a public apology. So that's what Robert Gibbs is doing now. Onward and upward. Board member of the International Olympic Committee, Gianfranco Casper, apologized this week for comparing a ban on Russia's from the 2018 Olympics to persecution of the Jews in Nazi Germany. It was an inappropriate and insensitive comment, he said, longtime president of the International Ski Federation. A Swiss official, so he knows nothing about the war, had been speaking out on the sidelines of a board meeting in the 2018 host city. The potential Olympic ban for Russia, punishment for state-backed doping and cheating at the Sochi Games, was compared with indiscriminate persecution by the Nazis. I think they, it was fairly discriminating persecution, if you ask me. Dateline Brockton, Massachusetts, the head of the National Grid, apologized to the people of Brockton during a press conference for allowing the third manhole cover explosion within the city. 
in eight months in the downtown area. I apologize that we caused stress within the downtown area of Brockton, said Marcy Reed, president of National Grid. I want to apologize to the people of Brockton who felt either an inconvenience or a sense of lack of safety. That was not our intent to put anyone in that position. Exploding manhole covers. It's just for fun. It's just entertainment. You don't have a lot to do. No. A Target representative has apologized to residents of the Boston area on behalf of the company, saying the chain would pull from its website and store shelves shirts that had obvious errors printed in them with Boston-specific themes in which areas of Boston were misspelled. Nike has apologized because some of the sneakers sold in China were inaccurately marketed. This became known after the state television accused the company of making false claims. Nike said 300 pairs of its hyperdunk FTB basketball shoes were sold in China last April with an inaccurate product description stating the shoe contained airbags. The company apologized to customers and offered refunds. Or little bags that they could insert themselves? No. American Airlines has apologized to a blind woman who says she and her guide dog were removed from a flight after she asked for a new seat. But, but they're always so nice at America, aren't they? The day after they broke the news that two all-girls Catholic schools will merge, the Sisters of Mercy in Cincinnati sent a note to parents. We're sorry, it said. We're writing today to apologize if you heard about the creation of the new merged high school and how that affects your daughter via social media or from other sources before you received our letter. It was our goal to communicate with everyone. We hope we learned that it would have been helpful if we had sent a text message to alert you to our email letter. <laughs> yes, it would have. The British newspaper The Guardian has issued a 500-word apology for an article that prompted a storm of criticism from residents of Spokane. As the writer Cody Delistrati wrote about how Gonzaga University became the central hope for the struggling city, it was rightly perceived as a mocking indictment of the city's socioeconomics. Unfortunately, it didn't quite hit the right note. It caused a storm among Spokanites. We didn't expect a storm of criticism, but looking back, we should have been more judicious in our editing, headline, and presentation, said The Guardian. We made some factual errors in the piece, but perhaps it was a question of tone. It was never our intention to mock or sneer, and for that, we're sorry. See, it's, it is my intention to mock or sneer, smear, sneer. Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, apologized for racially charged comments regarding Jews of Middle Eastern descent and responding to a question as to why he requested a six-month delay of the new Israeli Broadcasting Corporation. He, Netanyahu said his Mizrahi gene was activated. That's the Hebrew word for Eastern. It appeared to play off degrading stereotypes of Jews of Middle Eastern descent. Said a member of parliament who is of Moroccan descent, what was activated in Netanyahu was his racist gene, unquote. The Oh, and uh, the uh, First Lady of Idaho, Lori Otter, has apologized for sharing a controversial meme on her private Facebook page this week that lampooned Caitlyn Jenner's gender transition. It was a picture of Caitlyn Jenner on a Wheaties box with the caption, quote, includes no nuts. She has apologized. The First Lady said she meant no harm by her Facebook post. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Oh, one more. 
The BBC's Asian network has apologized after it's one of its presenters caused controversy after asking its Twitter followers, what's the right punishment for blasphemy? The answer, correct answer, of course, is more blasphemy. That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S. and 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, whenever you want it. Live and archive, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, on your smartphone or your smart teddy bear via stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like words mattering, no matter who speaks them. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All righty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tiffany show Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts to put under the Easter tree, all at harryshare.com. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>